Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Divorce Podcast. I am your host, Billy Tarasio, and today we've got a fantastic topic for you today. I think you're going to love it. We're going to talk to a divorce coach and mediator about how to keep things peaceful, how to keep things calm, and how to use people that are not your lawyers to help work out parts of your divorce, which is a great way to save you money. So Abby King, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. So can you start by giving us a little bit of your background and how you, what happened to make you become a divorce coach? So uh, when I was divorced um, about 10 years ago and going through it for a few years prior, I was the first one out of any of my friends, the first one out of my family. Um, I had really nobody to talk to or look to other than my lawyer. Mm. And Around that time, I was writing uh, freelance writing and my articles on divorce were getting a huge response and random people were emailing me uh, with tons of questions. And I was just giving, you know, solicited advice. And one thing led to another and I was researching something for an article I was writing and I came across divorce coaching and I rolled my eyes and thought it was kind of, you know, nonsense. And looked into it and it wasn't. And I went through the training and started my own business and slowly and surely it was growing and growing. And, and it's really just been taking off by word of mouth. That's fantastic. Yeah. Completely unexpected. Yeah. So what do people, what do people need from you most? A lot of most, mostly custody. Mm. Um, I do have single clients um, and We talk about, you know, moving on. A lot of times it's, should I get divorced? Shouldn't I get divorced? Mm -hmm. How do I tell my family? How do I tell my friends? Mm -hmm. How do I tell my spouse that I am seriously moving forward with divorce without them uh, freaking out and taking revenge financially or emotionally? Um, It really varies. I mean, I'd say the crux, if, if you have children, is custody. Yeah. I'd say that's, you know, always touched on. Everything else is kind of sprinkled in depending on the situation. But if you have kids, custody is a big thing that always needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And even what you're talking about, you know, I talk to clients about that almost all the time. How do I tell him? How do I tell her? Um, When do I move out? And these are questions that I can't ever answer. It's always my answer is always you know, I can work with whatever you want. (laughs) This is your life and you have to design your life plan. And then I can design your legal strategy that meets your life plan. And so it sounds like you help people with their life plan. Yeah. I mean, trying to find the right, listen, there's never a right time. So, you know, you have to find your best time and when you're ready and we go through, you know, some people are ready the second that they call me and some people are a little bit unsure and it takes a little time going back and forth planning the right time, where are the kids, is it on a weekend? Then when do we tell the kids, you know, so it's, there's a lot that can go into it. And oftentimes just having somebody to talk it out with that is neutral. I have nothing to gain or lose. Um, You know, I'm on your side. I'm going to 
give you my opinion and alert you to red flags and things that you're not thinking about because now I'm doing this professionally, aside from now all of the friends that I have that have gone through it. So anecdotally and professionally, I have a lot of experience. Um, so, you know, there, there's no perfect time, but you're going to have to pick a time. So I've never had a client that hasn't picked the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that it makes a lot of sense to me. So let's talk about some of those red flags. So when someone comes to you and they're talking to you and they're trying to figure out, should I get divorced? Should I not? What's the timing? What are red flags that you might see come up? All the reasons that they're giving me for wanting to stay have nothing to do with them or their happiness. I'm scared he's going to. I'm scared she's going to. I feel bad about the kids. Um, my parents have been married for 60 years and nobody's divorced. So when all of the reasons that you're staying are for everybody else, mm. that's that's a big red flag. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't consider your kids mm-hmm. um, and all of that. But, you know, if there's nothing in there, I still love him. I, I still feel supported by her. Um, I still feel like there is a way maybe we could work it out. You know, if I'm not hearing any of that, you know, it sounds like you're, you're, you're more ready than not. Um, yeah. People really wanting to know that they did everything they could. Yeah. And they're looking, they're looking for me to give them a diploma. Like, but did I do everything I could? Well, I can't answer that for you. What does that mean to you? Um, you know, if you just close your eyes and you're quiet for a few minutes, do you really feel like you gave it everything you could? You could have to answer that. But sometimes people are looking for, you know, like a, a stamp. You can move over. You did this. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's really it. Like if, if all your reasons are based on external people and external circumstances, and if you're just looking for somebody else to tell you that you did everything you could. Right. And that that makes a ton of sense. So what are some of the most common mistakes that you see with people who are getting a divorce? When it comes to kids, um, working out a custody schedule that doesn't make sense. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that one party is putting it on the other. This means that they could both be kind of screwing themselves up together Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. by agreeing to something that sounds like it makes sense without Mm -hmm. really thinking it through, Mm -hmm. um, depending on the age of your kids. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a custody schedule for a two-year-old is very different than an eight-year-old, which is different than a 16-year-old. And um, really playing out what time are the pickups on Saturday? What time are we switching? Where, where, how many nights? Um, you know, people are very, they worry a lot about the 50-50 if that's what they have, which is great. Um, and they're going with a traditional, I've heard of this, I've heard of three days or four days, um, but they're not really thinking, okay, what time are you going to switch on Wednesday? Or on Sunday. And what does that look like for the middle of your day? How are you going to handle holidays? You know, um, Memorial Day weekend, if you're switching every year, well, Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day is just a Monday, Mm -hmm. but that weekend is Thursday to Monday or Friday to Monday, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's one party's weekend with their kids, but it's the other party's Monday, Memorial Day holiday, and they don't get the whole weekend and they just get their kids from like nine to six. I'm a more, you know, so how do you live your life? How do you live Thanksgiving? How do you live July 4th? Do you guys go away for three days or do you just do fireworks in your town for two hours? You know, thinking about how you live your life 
and really walking through what custody looks like and trying to make it easiest on everybody. That's just a really good point. Um, In my own parenting plan, I have a, a really strange parenting plan. We don't have a holiday plan. We just have week on, week off all year long. And then we have two weeks of vacation days, 14 vacation days that either of us can take whenever we want for whatever reason. Um, And it's because I have, as a divorce attorney, have watched people try to navigate this. We share the birthday. We And and in my opinion, in my opinion, for my kids, the fewer transitions, the more they can just be in their life with their parent, and then be in their life with their other parent for me was, was a better way to go. Yeah. I mean, and you would know, I mean, if you try that and it's not working, then you can try something else. That's true. You can, you can absolutely try something else. Um, and you're not stuck with a parenting plan. It can be hard when people have different values. Like one person can be very, uh, much more rigid than the other. So if you have two flexible parents, that's really easy. <laughs> they don't really call me or probably you that often. They figure it out. They're flexible. Yeah. I mean, for most of my clients, my advice is always be as detailed as we possibly can with holidays, with literal times on the transitions or at 4 p.m. On, put everything down. And then you are welcome to be as flexible as you want to be. You can throw mm-hmm. it out the window. You can be easy on each other, help each other out. But you want to have something in place in case you don't, you can't, you didn't expect to get divorced when you got married and you don't know what's going to happen next. One of you may find a partner that makes that flexibility not a possibility anymore for whatever reason. And you need to have something that you feel good about Mm -hmm. to fall back on because it, you know, it's easy to change if you're flexible, but it is very hard to change if one party doesn't want to. Both parties have to agree to a, a change in custody plan. Right. Right. Which is why your parenting plan just needs to be straightforward. You need, everybody needs to know what it means. Yep. Detailed, write as much as you can down and then decide how, you know, how much you adhere to it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing I, I'm wondering is when usually when parents start first um, putting together their parenting plan, they're really concerned about knowing what's going on. Where are my kids? Like, where are you taking them? Yep. Where where are you living? Who's around them? Where's, and they want to know a lot of information, you know, like you need my permission before you go travel somewhere. What, what do you advise people about that? Right. So traveling babysitters, obviously mm-hmm. people should know where their kids are living. I mean, I, that's, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, I actually have experience with a situation like that and, and it's crazy, but you should know where your kids are living. Yeah. Um, but Babysitters, first right or first right of refusal on vacations and babysitters. It sounds like a good idea. I know it really does. And again, it depends on the age of your kids. The younger they are, the better it sounds. And here's where the experience comes in. And you know, and this is what a divorce attorney, when you're paying them five hundred dollars an hour, isn't going to sit and walk through this with you. And they may not even, if they haven't experienced it. You know, that's that's not why you have an attorney. Um, but it can be a really bad idea. Because do you want the opportunity to have your kids on a Thursday night if your ex has to go out of town, right? Oh, great. I'm free. Please, I want to have them. Okay, well, in six months, you meet someone you're dating 
you're going away for the weekend. You don't want to have to tell your ex that you're where you're going and who you're going with. And it gets very sticky. And you may love the babysitter that's two apartments down. She's only 15, but you know her very well. You know that her parents are home. It's their two, you know, apartments away. It's a great situation, but your ex just hears that some 15 year old is babysitting your four year old and they might not like that, you know? So it, I think that it, you know, obviously barring really rash, crazy decisions, you don't, you, it really only works one way. You want to be asked and given the information, but you don't really want to have to give out that information. So I really, you know, just remind people of that and let them know. And nine times out of 10, they're like, oh, I'm taking that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a real struggle for, um, parents to go from being in their house with their children every single day to now not knowing for large periods of time. It's hard. It's a, it's an adjustment. I totally understand that. What do you think about um, phone contact and video contact? Again, I hate Kate to keep saying like age appropriate, um, but age appropriate uh, for, for kids who don't have phones of their own. It would be ideal if the other parent, and it depends, you know, if, if you're doing a week on and a week off and your kids are three or four, you're going to want to talk to your kid at some point in that week. And so, and the kid is going to want to talk to that other parent and it is possible to put in a phone call every Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know, for 20 minutes and you try to make that happen. Um, you know, if it's two nights, Monday, Tuesday, then Wednesday, Thursday, and the kids are 10, you know, for two nights, maybe let them just be with that other parent. So I think you just have to use logic when kids are old enough. And I mean, old enough kids are having phones now. I don't know. Um, I feel like my kids are 18 and 15. So I'm out of that a little bit, but they've had phones for a while. Kids are getting them younger and younger. Once Mm -hmm. the kids have their own phones, Mm -hmm. ideally the other parent is not going to regulate, you know, you can't call mom, you can't FaceTime dad. Like once the kids have the ownership of their own, as long as perhaps if the kid is getting, you know, if your child's getting a phone at nine and third grade, maybe there's a rule of not contacting after a certain time and whatever you decide bedtime is in your house, let, the other, parent, let the other parent know. Cause you don't want that parent calling at nine and keeping them up for a half an hour and videoing. Oh. So, you know, I would put some boundaries, reasonable boundaries in, but you know, and some kids, it might be too upsetting for them to talk to you. Some kids, you know, when they're with that one parent, when they're with mom, they might just be with mom. Mm-hmm. And when they're with dad, they might just be with dad. I know a lot of people, even with kids that are teenagers and have their own phones. And so we know they're on those phones <laughs> hours every night. They're not calling the other parent. It's not because they don't love them. Right. If the other parent maybe texts or reaches out. They will, but they're just like happy at home. They did their homework. They went to their practice. They're, right. They had dinner with dad and like, they're just not taking 20 minutes to call mom, which is fine. Like let them be. And I think that each and each kid is different within a family. One kid might be like one that you talk to like every single day. And the other one you, you talk to every four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a hard time getting my teenagers to respond to me. <laughs> and it's not because we don't have an amazing relationship. We do, but like, you they're know, teenagers. they're living their lives. They're doing what they want to do. And if, if Which that, is what we were doing. And we didn't okay. have cell phones. It's okay. And we weren't, I wasn't running to a pay phone to call my mom on a Saturday from the mall. I was out for eight hours with my friends and right. 
Right. And most of the time, if you were contacting your mom, it was because you needed a ride or you needed something done. And if, and during that time, they're depending on the other parent. It's all, it's all fine. Like, <laughs> I mean, I just, hopefully people will be reasonable and logical. I mean, it's really unfortunate. There are so many contentious situations where when those kids are at that other house, they are not talking to the other parent, even oh. if they want to. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But that is, that is heartbreaking. The other thing I, I that, you know, it is appropriate to put reasonable restrictions on your children contacting the other parent. And there are those situations where the other parent is interfering with your parenting time. Yeah. They are, they are interfering. They are texting every five minutes to say, what are you doing? What did you eat today? Did you do homework? Did your dad remember to tell you blah, 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 blah. Um, let's sneak phone calls late at night, but don't tell your dad like that type of behavior controlling, not okay. (laughs) It's really destructive. It's not okay. Um, so it's okay at that point for a parent to restrict that contact. You just wish that people would be, you know, as reasonable and loving and flexible and mature as possible, but you know how to get there. It's pretty Mm -mm. tough. Yeah. That's just not how it is for most people. Takes a while. How long do you see it takes people to adjust to being divorced parents? I think it depends on how much you were co-parenting in the marriage. You know, most of my clients, most of my clients have been doing the crux of the parenting, which makes it easier on that parent. It's usually the parent that was not as involved that has a harder time. All of a sudden they're working and having to go to the grocery store and wait. I have to go to a doctor's appointment at 3 p.m. on Tuesday, but I'm working. Can't we go after work? Well, no, because the pediatrician is only there until 530 and I can't take off work. Well, you have to now take off work because you're now responsible. So I think it's, you know, it's the parent that, you know, there's usually one parent that is that does the work of parenting. And so if you're that parent, it's easier and not only easier to adjust than the other parent, it's easier. Like you don't have the person that you haven't been getting along with that you have likely been arguing with that there's heartbreak and all those other things. They're not like in your ear at night after you've done all the work of parenting and then you're having to deal with them. You're still doing all the work of parenting you were doing anyway, but now you get to do it like in peace and freedom. Right. So a lot of people are very relieved and there, a lot of my clients are saying I was doing this anyway. And now I just don't have to listen to him or her kind of butt in. Right. Um, you get to but run it, your house the way you want to run your house yeah, without criticism. Yeah. And it, it's great. I mean, it takes a while to, for the other parent to get up to speed. So for a long time, that parent that was doing a hundred percent of the work is still doing a hundred percent of the work, still forwarding the emails, reminding you have to go to the doctor. Yes, you do have to go. That's the only time they can take it. Still scheduling the appointments. Like usually there is one parent that still kind of takes charge mm-hmm. for a while, if not almost always. Mm-hmm. Um, and that other, the other parent hopefully steps up and does as close to 50% as they can. But, um, you know, and then it depends on how long you've been unhappy and, you know, the circumstances and was it ugly? Was it amicable? Yeah. You know, how long has that process been? Do you have a life of your own? Do you have friends? Do you work? If you don't work and you've been home with the kids, that's great. But do you have, do you have a yoga class or do you like music? You know, what do you have you done anything for yourself in your free time? So when you're alone without the kids, you're not just looking at four walls for six months until you find something to do. Yeah. In in, in that beginning. Yeah. In my experience, some of the hardest divorces are where there are the most traditional 
relationship roles. Mm-hmm. Um, because divorce undoes all that. It blows up your tradition. Like the way your family operated mm-hmm. is completely blown up. And it's yeah. a little different if you've got two working parents who were juggling and managing, both of them were juggling and managing. As you said, usually one person's the primary, but when you have two working parents, you're they're coordinating pickups. They're they're talking about all the things. Um, there's a daycare already involved, you know, there's childcare already involved. There's those structures that you'll need as a divorced parent mm-hmm. that you've already started to build. Right. Um, and so it can be very difficult for those very traditional relationships and mostly. I see mom struggle in that case, giving up so much of her identity, not, mm-hmm. not having to, not having built a career, feeling very left high and dry without enough support in terms of money. Are you working with people like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised at how many, and it's, you know, less and less, uh, I've been doing this four years and it's getting less and less, but I have plenty of clients who don't have any access to the financial records or bank accounts. They kind of know how much money there is. Maybe they're not exactly sure. They can't really call the financial planner because they've only talked to them maybe once or twice with their ex or with their spouse. Um, there are a lot of women who are really stuck. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of, I'm very flexible in my payment plans, mm-hmm. um, but I've had gotten payments in all sorts of creative ways mm-hmm. from women who really, I mean, they really have um, a spouse who, if they so chose, would know exactly every penny they spent because they don't have their own, not even source of income, because there are plenty of marriages also where there is just one person working, but the other person is a complete partner in the financial plan. They're oftentimes, even that person, the one that's not working is paying all the bills. Sure. One is making and one is then running, taking care of everything yeah. else with that. So that's a great position to be in. But there, are, I have several clients who literally have um, no way, you know, to even write a small check or Venmo without their spouses knowing. There are things that we can do, and there's things that they start to do in the home to try to get a handle on that before they're ready. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a really awful position to be in. Do you find that most, do you ever work with clients who are already divorced or work with them all the way through their divorce and post-divorce? Yes. I often, so a lot of times what happens is I'll work with, I only have a few couples as clients, but I will work with clients on and off for a regular basis. And then I won't hear from somebody. It could be two months. It could be 13 months. And all of a sudden I get an email. I need help with X, Y, and Z. Nice. Yeah. Very yeah, so nice. it depends like, you know, never know what's going to happen, how you're going to feel, what's going to pop up. Let's switch gears for a minute. Many people who are listening to this podcast are going through a divorce or they're out of divorce and they're thinking, what would life be like as a divorce coach? Should I be a divorce coach? Can you tell me about what that process is like of becoming a divorce coach and, and how the market uh, receives you? Sure. So there are a lot of programs. I went with like one of the first programs, CDC certified divorce coaching. You can look it up online. It was virtual. It it was a virtual program years ago, having nothing to do with the pandemic. So um, I would definitely vet whatever program you want to do. And, you know, mine was either 16 weeks kind of full-time or 32 weeks Mm -hmm. 
part-time. So I just did it all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's mentoring, there's training practice sessions. It's, it's rigorous. Oh, and then you just, I mean, for myself, I just kind of hung up my shingle and let my friends know and started an Instagram and slowly and surely. And my name kind of quietly got out there and I kept meaning to advertise on Google and I still haven't four years later, I haven't needed to, it's been growing. Um, I have connected, you know, I, in the beginning, I put up a Facebook post locally, everybody that I know, if you're in the divorce professional, a realtor, financial planner, lawyer, you know, anything that I might need, I made a bunch of contacts and now I have vetted referrals to give my clients. Mm -hmm. I have lawyers who will, you know, tell their clients to call me because they're using their time inefficiently and they, they don't want to handhold and it's wasting their clients money and it's wasting their time. This is not what they were trained to do. So, um, some practices are more receptive than others. So the old traditional law firms, Mm -hmm. Um, where all of the lawyers are of a certain age and a certain race and they all look the same. They're a little less um, embracing of a divorce team, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And then there are plenty who are down for it and really happy. And I mean, I've sent a lot of clients to therapists. Therapists will send me their patients. Um, so it's it's been great. It's been just slowly growing at a pace that makes me happy. There are also tons of ways. There's, you know, divorce professional networks and conferences. So there, there's a lot you can do if you want to network. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of companies now that are divorce companies. Mm-hmm. And you can go on their websites and they will have all different professionals in different areas Um, And that can be a great resource. I've been contacted by some. I haven't really wanted to um, commit to just branding myself with somebody else. I kind of, I'm happy doing it the way that I'm doing it, but that's a, you know, an opportunity for somebody who just wants to be getting a certain amount of referrals every single day and getting in there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways now. People seem much more open to it. I mean, a lot of my clients, I ask, I ask everybody how on my intake, where how did you find me? And if it's not a referral, they just Google divorce Philadelphia, divorce coach Philadelphia. I mean, I never would have even known the word divorce coach when right. I was thinking about this 12 years ago. Yeah. That's great. Sounds like it's a growing industry. There's a ton of opportunity. It, it like is. Yeah. You feel it, it's flexible. It works for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can have, I think you can be as busy as you want to be. I mean, that being said, it's a, it's a fit, right? It's just like a doctor, a therapist, not every client's for every coach and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, So you you definitely out of a hundred referrals, you're not going to have a hundred clients and you're not going to want a hundred either. They're not going to be the right person for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that you can be as busy as you want to be. You can network. If you love networking, you can get in there. Personally, I have, a different approach. I like word of mouth, mm-hmm. like growing that way. And it's been working. And every time I feel like, Ooh, you know what, I'm going to really, I need to push it. It's like, then I get just a bunch of emails the next week. I'm like, Oh, now I'm too busy. So yeah, exactly. So it hasn't ever really still gotten to the point where I've needed to advertise. How does the pricing work? I mean, it's literally whatever somebody wants to charge. Okay. So it depends. So there might be a package, there might be a membership, there might be hourly, it could be any of those things. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I offer, I mean, my sessions are an hour, give or take, I'm not going to kick somebody off the phone. Um, 
And so I have a small savings, a pack of three, a pack of five. If you want mm-hmm. unlimited access and sessions for three months, there's a price for that. I'm very flexible. There are some, yeah, you know, there's a range of pricing and flexibility. You know, you really have to, if if you're going to pick somebody, have a consult, see how you vibe with them, what you think about them. And if they seem like the right person for you, you know, then start looking into the pricing. I mean, it should be affordable for most people. Okay. I mean, what is the range people can expect to pay? I mean, it's really all over the place. I mean, I, you know, I'm priced at about 115 per session mm-hmm. and there are people who are $500 a session. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like it's, and for some people you need to commit to six sessions mm-hmm. and for some people you can take it, you know, as, as needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really kind, it's really kind of all over the place, but just like lawyers, you know, I mean, there's lawyers that are $300 an hour and lawyers that are $3,000 an hour. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know very many $3,000 an hour yeah. lawyers, but they're out there. I know this. Yes. So you have to really, you know, and, and just like the retainers at different lawyers. I mean, I'll, somebody will call me. I just, you know, gave a $50,000 retainer. I'm like, well, you didn't need to do that. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money and you didn't need to do that. Um, so do your research. And once you find two or three people that the price seems like it works in your budget, mm-hmm then have a consult call and see, you know, what their personality is. Um, some people are very prescriptive. This is my workbook. Mm-hmm. We're going to go on ABCD. Mm-hmm. This is our homework for the week. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that have that personality. Um, well, and that works for some people. <laughs> and then there are some people, you know, I'd kind of just, I listen to my clients. By the end of a consult, I'll tell them what I think I heard. And this is what I think that you're asking for. Is that, is that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what I'm hearing are the priorities. Are those the priorities? Okay. Do you want to pick one, two, and three? You pick what you want to work on first. And if that works for you, then that's kind of how I approach it. Got it. Makes sense to me. So if people want to contact you, Abby, how do they find you? Divorcecoachphilly.com is my website. Every I answer every question you could think of and tell you about myself. And then you can also find me Divorce Coach Philly on Instagram. Nice. Well, Abby, thank you so much. And audience, if you have loved this episode, make sure to like it, rank it, leave a review, send in your questions. We will always try to find guests to meet your needs. Abby, you've been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com. 